Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Today's reading is from Luke, first chapter, 39 through 55. If you'd like to follow along, it's on page 932. But first, let us center ourselves through a bit of prayer. Will you pray with me? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing, we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First, Mary's visit to her elder cousin, Elizabeth. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town on the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child on my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by her Lord. And now Mary's song of praise, or Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliest of servants. Surely, from now on, generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me and in his holy name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors and Abraham and to his descendants forever. The grass withers and the flowers fades, but the word of our Lord is forever. Amen.
This passage tells us of a most unexpected meeting. If you had asked either of these women the year before this happened, if they thought anybody would be talking about them, they would be stunned. For the truth is, the world had given both of them every indication that they didn't really matter, they didn't really belong. But now everything has changed. The angel Gabriel departs from Mary, and as my grandmother said, she made a beeline to Zechariah's and Elizabeth's house. I don't know what a beeline is, but that's what grandma said. You remember Elizabeth and Zechariah? They are also expecting a child. Elizabeth will give birth to John the Baptist. But Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are old really old. They are the oldest couple at the Presbyterian home. So when Zechariah learns that at this old age he is going to become a father, it takes him by surprise. And as a result, the angel Gabriel struck Zechariah mute. Don't mess with Gabriel. Nevertheless, This meeting of these two women, both of whom are shocked to be carrying a child, they meet. Mary needs a girlfriend. So she runs to see Elizabeth, and she barely reaches the driveway when Elizabeth erupts in joy. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. She goes on and on. You sort of wonder if Zechariah not being able to speak really changed the conversation pattern at home, any? It's fair to say these women are overjoyed. I'm drawn to this moment because the truth is, a lot of my life, I didn't always, I didn't really, wasn't really aware of this, but a lot of my life, I was not the most joyful person. I was happy. I was really happy. And I sort of thought those were the same things, but my happiness, like yours, was dependent on circumstances. It was dependent on things being relatively good. And for most of my life, things have been really good. I have more than enough reason to be happy, and I am. But happiness and joy are not the same things, okay? They, they are cousins among this family of di- human dispositions, but they're not identical. As I've said, happiness results from positive circumstances for life being good. But joy runs deeper than that. Joy comes from recognizing that the love that makes sense of the world includes you. That the love that makes sense of the world calls you by name. Joy is what results when we recognize that our lives are ultimately defined less by what the world does to us and more by what God has done for us. 
That is the joy these women share. It's not lighthearted, carefree, la-di-da. No, it is courageous. It is defiant. It is, it is a strong choice in the face of a broken world. And David Wyeth, he says this about joy. He says, joy is actually a deep form of love. I think he's right about that because I think joy is a relational disposition. So it's no accident that when these women meet, joy is present Several years ago, I was, I was rereading the last sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached. It was April the 3rd, 1968 in Memphis. You remember the end of that sermon. Like Moses standing on Mount Nebo, King told a very weary crowd, God has taken me up the mountain. And I looked over, and I have seen the promised land. He said, I may not get there with you, but I tell you tonight, we as a people will get to the promised land. And that room, still wet from the thunderstorm they braved to get there to see him that night, and still beaten down by the storm of Jim Crow, they erupted with joy. Those last words of King are quite famous and widely known, but I had not noticed before until, until rereading it this time that the, the first words he spoke that night, before he stood up, Ralph Abernathy introduced him, the man who needed no introduction. He introduced him to that gathered crowd, and then King stood up and he said, you know, it's always good to have a friend say something good about you. And Ralph is the best friend I have in the whole world. Now, I don't know, but I, I wonder, I, I think actually that the courage, that the hope, that the joy that exuded from Martin Luther King Jr. was informed in part because he knew he had a friend who understood that God was at work in their lives, and it gave him joy. I think joy breathes when we know there is a friend in the world with whom we share the love of God. That's why it's good that we do this together. It's essential that we do this together. It's no accident that Mary and Elizabeth seek each other out. And it's also no surprise to me that when they meet, they begin to sing. There's a lot of singing in the Christmas story. The truth of it is it's written like it's, or it reads like it's written for the family Von Trapp because music breaks out with every plot development. The angels show up and they burst into song. Uh, Zacharias ends his long period of silence by singing. Even the old man Simeon bows out with a song of God's love for all. But the showstopper of this musical is Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. He has brought down the powerful, lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry with good things. 
It reads like a musical, but there's a very important difference. So you know this. You know that there's a place for us somewhere from West Side Story. You know that You'll Be Back is from Hamilton. You know that, surprisingly, Oklahoma is from, well, Oklahoma. The music was written for the show. But when Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, he does it differently. He, he places in the mouths of the angels and of Zechariah and of Simeon and of Mary not new songs written for this moment. No, they're very old hymns, hymns that everybody knew. The truth is, I imagine when, when Luke's gospel was read in his congregation that when they got to these places in the text, the whole congregation stood up and sang them. They were old hymns that everybody knew, but not just any old hymn. New Testament scholar Raymond Brown is convinced that these hymns were written and emerged from a particular Jewish Christian community that was simply called Anawim. Anawim translates the poor ones. Brown describes them this way. The Anawim were those who had no power on their own to rely on. So they were completely dependent upon God. They were the lowly, the poor, the sick, the downtrodden, the forgotten, the widow, the orphan. We know this from our own experience. The oppressed, they sing differently. They do. It's not just the blues as powerful as that can be. No. It's often from the bottom that we discover most clearly our reasons for hope. It is often in our darkest night that we discover most clearly our reasons for joy. I can't fully explain that. I've just experienced it to be true, and I bet you have too. Often it is from the darkest night in our lives that it becomes clearest to us that our lives are not defined by what the world does to us, but by what God has done for us. So if, if Luke were to walk in here today, um, I would probably invite him to preach. And and I bet I know what he would preach. He would probably tell us, in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And he would tell us that each went to his own town and Joseph also. He went with Mary who was with child. He would tell us that they're in Bethlehem she gave birth and she laid him in a manger and the angels sang and the shepherds came. He would tell us that and then he would invite us to sing. But not these songs. 
he would probably invite us to sing something like, we shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Or maybe he would invite us to sing, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. Tis grace will lead me home. Or maybe we would sing, no storm can shake my inmost calm. When to that rock I'm clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Or maybe, like we will in just a minute, my soul goes out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fire of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near. And the world is about to turn. When we remember that our lives are not defined by what the world has done to us, but by what God has done for us, the result of that is joy. And what we know is joy most often expresses itself in singing. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.